See? There was nothing. But that's how it always begins. Very small. I thought you were dead. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You gotta be fucking kidding. Tear him up! Episode 6, John Carpenter. This is the sixth episode of the Tear Them Apart podcast. Thanks for being with us. Yay! Yay! I think we're surprised we're at six. Thanks for uh, listening. I'm Evan Dorkin. I'm Paul Yelovich. And we've got a topic because we couldn't figure out what the fuck to do. And uh, life, you know, checks you into the board and you realize you do not have a week to check out uh, Hong Kong action movies that have horror in them, which we'd really like to do because that's a great topic. So our topic is... John Carpenter. Why the fuck not, right? Sure. Uh, how do you, you cannot avoid John Carpenter, or any, especially if you're of a certain age. I kind of gave up on him, not to be mean. Oh. But uh, we really did, we tried. Carpenter's one of the only directors I can remember following really avidly. I mean, straight After through. After what, though? After I saw Halloween on TV, because I was too scared to yeah. see it in theaters. Yeah. I knew about Assault on Precinct 13. I think I had actually seen Dark Star first on Wilmetco. Sure. I was fascinated by Dark Star because Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter were involved. I knew that they were big names at that point in Fangoria and all that jazz. I was really nerding out on the fan magazines back then. So he was a name. Dead and Buried might have been out by then. I'm not sure. And I had read the book, oddly enough. I don't know how I came up with it. So there were names that you recognized. And it was hard to forget a movie that has a beach ball in it bouncing around and talking bombs. It was like one of those things where you read about it in the Monster Times or... Starlog or Fangoria or Famous Monsters and it sticks with you. Carpenter's stuff is so on the nose in a good way I think. His concepts are so tight that you don't have to talk about them for more than three sentences. You go Halloween, okay, boom, 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 Dark Star uh, The Fog. They're like almost like urban legends. You can describe this is the one about the. I almost think that the more he gets away from that the more his films kind of get out of control. Um, That he's really good in tight places tight concepts. uh, Smaller Smaller I think is better with him but he's somebody, I mean I remember we went to see Village of the Damned together, the whole group of us, you, me, everybody. We went to see Mouth of Madness. Yes. And we went to see Vampires and I think that's when I gave up. Right. He's, I've seen almost everything he's done. Me too. I've certainly seen everything he's done in horror, unless you count Invisible Man. So we're going to talk about... Yeah, we're going to go backwards. And the thing with Carpenter is, I don't have a love-hate with Carpenter. I have a love-disappointed, if that's my right to say. To me, I love Carpenter. Yes. I think he made incredibly important movies. Yes. And I think there's a time when he's just not that good anymore yeah and i think that i'm curious about the reasons are for that i didn't go into a lot of research because i don't want other people's stuff coming out of my mouth if you know what i mean i don't want to sound like i know what i'm talking about because i just ran on google for three days i think that he may be more than any of the you know if you go craven hooper carpenter romero cronenberg you know serious interest in making horror films at least for a good long while he's the classic of the group he's he loves old films and he brings that into his old he loves john ford he loves uh howard hawks he's got a very masculine approach to yeah. his films. he understands genre very sure well. does and he wants to entertain and he does slip concepts in but unlike uh, the concepts never take over the film really even in they live it's you know you got a wrestling and shooting and goofiness and i mean it is clearly a political film but in a movie like the thing 
he never beats the film down with the concept hammer, if that makes any sense. I think he's got the most entertainment value in any of the films of these directors. I mean, he's got the tightest sense of story, of character, without having deep characters, but he knows what his characters are and he knows how to serve them. Has a sense of humor, which not everybody has or not everybody uses as much. He's got a good sense of where to put the camera. He's not the most fluid filmmaker, but he's not like Romero, Hooper... I don't think they really know what they're doing with the camera most of the time, if I might say that. He's had a huge influence on directors, but he's had a huge influence on film music. Nobody else can claim that, I think. That's, that's fascinating to me. But he's also been involved in a lot of projects. He's a video game fan, which I forgot. But the other interesting thing about him is that I think that more than anybody on the list is he's got a fuck you attitude that while their films might have that attitude, he really just walks from stuff or doesn't give a shit. Or says, fuck it. And his characters often say, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, he's walked from a lot of films and he's said, sure, pay me. And he said, I want money from Halloween, so hire me for $10 million. And it's a matter of principle as much as anything else. So he's really fascinating. He's an adult. That's the thing that I wanted to kind of cover. I know that sounds weird. Yeah. I think that almost all these filmmakers are adult. That's the difference, I think, between a lot of the things that's going on in music, in comics, in filmmaking, in genre, in that... When we were growing up, these films were being made by people who went through Vietnam or reacted to Vietnam. A lot of them had uh, put on uniforms or worked shitty jobs or whatnot. They didn't, they loved genre, but they didn't live genre. They didn't have toys all over the house like we do. They didn't uh, know every line from everything. They didn't, they weren't going to conventions. They were doing stuff. This is not a put down of today's artists. It's just that we are all so fan savvy. We are all fans now. Craven, Carpenter, Cronenberg. They're, they were adults making movies, Romero, and now we have fans making movies, if you understand what I'm saying. And this is a yes. broad, broad okay. paintbrush. Sure. But it's like Carpenter was doing stuff about ghosts, zombies, vampires, beach balls with claws, but from a very adult point of view. None of these guys really went for, like, gore for gore's sake, and they didn't really go for... They weren't self-aware completely. They were, they were aware of the audience, and they knew how to scare them. But they weren't trying to show off, and they weren't trying to be your friend through film. Does that make any sense? I see what you mean. I could also, I, would you agree that they, they're not meta? Everything has to be meta now? Well, that's, that's why I don't like In the Mouth of Madness, but yeah, um, that's one of the reasons I don't like In the Mouth of Madness. But right, everything's not meta, but I think these people were just trying to make a good movie each and every time and weren't thinking about how the movie fit into this. It's not Cabin in the Woods, it's not my third movie with this, and I bet it you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They weren't doing it with the fan magazines in mind. They weren't doing it with their the, the internet in mind. They, they weren't, weren't selling toys. They weren't trying to sell toys. Carpenter, I think, is an exciting filmmaker. Uh, even his misfires are fascinating because Carpenter's involved. Yeah, It's like Cronenberg in that way. Um, you know, uh, And I think he has so many strong films and strong elements that there's a reason people are going to be talking for him forever. Now enjoy part one as the boys discuss the theatrically released films of John Carpenter in reverse order. What's the first thing you remember? Fire. What's your name? Kristen. Welcome to the ward, your new home. Why am I here? So the last movie he directed was The Ward. Yes, 2010. The Ward was... Here's the thing. I yeah. heard that he was kind of a hired gun for that. He is a hired gun on that. I remember reading that at the time because I was surprised that there was a Carpenter film out and nobody was talking about it. I watched it on Netflix. It's well done. It's just not very good. Yeah. 
Does it feel like a Carpenter film? In a couple of places. In a couple of places where he's, his trademark way of setting shots up widescreen, uh, his use of silence, the way shots are set up and blocked. I mean, it's a perfectly well-directed film. I just don't think the script works. And uh, it's gimmicky, you know what I mean? It's got a gimmick base to it. But it's, it's nothing noticeable, except that John Carpenter was involved with it. And nothing offensive? In what way? Terrible. Stinks. Um, you know, I don't remember ever saying this stinks, but at the end I just remember shrugging. That it was just like, okay, that was a movie. Yeah. Um, I don't remember than, a lot of it. It's the acting than scene. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the acting, it was just perfectly mediocre. I mean, the only thing about the ward that I would add is that, you know, it's, it's very psychological. Not a lot happens. It's, uh, it's about a, you know, mental health ward that uh, uh, young women are in. And there's, there's cattiness and the usual snake pit type of stuff. But it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't leave much of an impression. And uh, I, what's next? <laughs> is it Ghosts of Mars? It was supposed to be a routine prisoner transport. But here... Drop your weapon. I ain't going back. They're about to discover nothing is what it seems. From the master of terror. Go! Get John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Damn, girl. I like you already. Ghost of Mars 2001. Wow. Ghost of Mars is terrible. Yeah, it really is. Now... I've heard what the fuck is I've heard that there's about. a skeleton ideas that might have evolved into Escape from Earth the... or Escape from Mars. Ghost of Mars is a science fiction film with horror elements. The aliens or the creatures on Mars are they really ghosts? They're like vampires or something like that. Are there ghosts? I gotta say, I saw it once. I did, I don't want to watch it again. I thought it was a mess. Yeah, I saw it once and it was. Awful. It's an awful, it's awful film. Awful, it's like awful it's film. Ice Ice Cube is our Snake Plissken, basically, right? Well, remember what you got in this film. It's part Escape from New York, right? Part Assault on Precinct Thirteen, right? Um, part vampires. I don't. Know. What are those things in the hills that keep pop that they have that look like they're going to a uh, Sisters of Mercy concert and got lost? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? There's yeah. that really bad villain, and he's got speeches, and I have—I don't even remember. Ghost of Mars is is like everything bad about Carpenter from his last films and bits that you can see in his early films. But I was catching when I was running through some things real quick just to get an overview and remind myself of the things that we'd seen. I kept seeing a lot of younger reviewers saying that he's a master of action direction, and I've never believed that. One of his biggest problems, one of his biggest setbacks is that he has certain films that are action films and by and large, he's a terrible action director. He's a very cause and effect. Things can't happen on screen at the same time. I don't think he's good with physical space when it comes to action or movement or I think everything he's good at with people in tense situations or arguing or escaping someone, he's not good at with bodies in motion or objects in motion. And Ghost in Mars has a lot of those problems. If you're using the example of, say, Big Trouble to say he's a brilliant action director, come on. It's I mean, a, it's, it's, a, it's a great film. It's a good American 
attempt to do that. Yeah. But it's a mess. If it you, succeeds despite the action being incredibly clunky and choppy. You could probably do a supercut of people going out windows yeah. and falling awkwardly and yeah. just not looking right action wise in his films. Yeah. The worst of his action direction is an escape from LA. It's like cringeworthy seeing people hanging from wires yeah, and it's pretty floating bad. over each other and I'm like Batman TV show has more thrilling action. I, I think that's just not his forte. And the thing is, he likes action movies. He likes old westerns. He doesn't know how to do a brawl. You know what I mean? His mm. brawls aren't good. Uh, the only good fight that everybody loves in his movies is Roddy Piper and Keith David. And Roddy Piper called that that match, you know? And it is still stiff, to be honest. But what's happening in the camera is terrific because you really like these two actors. Roddy Piper's in his element. But anyway, yeah, uh, Ghosts of Mars is is just too many ideas, not worked out well. He's created so many memorable characters. Yeah, but you don't remember any character from there. No, I remember Ice Cube because he's famous and he's Ice Cube. Right. I remember the blonde girl because she was in a lot of things at the time, Clea Duval, and I, I thought she was cool. So her character is completely fucking thrown aside. I, I remember her character more for the really cheap way that she was. Dust it off. It looks cheap. It doesn't have the money for the concept, which is a problem with a lot of his later films, but certainly for this one. I mean, you're supposed to have another... These environments are important, and he just can't put them together on sets. Nothing means anything. Unlike Escape from New York, unlike his other films, you don't know what the goals are in scenes. You know what I mean? It's just a bunch of shit happening. It's tired. He seems tired. It's got some of his touches, but it feels completely third Xerox. Yeah. It's just... It feels more like... Look, I can't be in his head. Oh, yeah. But it looks like, I don't have an idea. Yeah. Here's some things that have worked in the past. I haven't done anything in a while. I need to get going. And probably... Who knows if money fell out? Who knows if people fell out? Right. It's just... But it just stinks. I don't know anybody who likes that movie. Yeah, it's not good. It's not even a movie that seems to have fervent defenders. It's a lot... I I think that, you know... Oof. It's... Yeah, it's not Ghost of Mars is depressing. Pass. (laughs) Sad pass, yeah. Hard sad pass. What's the next one? 1998 Vampires. Have you ever seen a vampire? They're not romantic. Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. You want to kill one? You drive a wooden stake right through his heart. People seem to really like vampires. Well, here's the thing. I've read the book. Oh, I didn't know it was based on a book. Yeah, the book isn't good. We saw This is the last one we saw in the theaters as a group. This is the last one I saw in the theaters. Yes. So is there anything to say about vampires? Vampires is so threadbare. It's just... It has no sense of anything. It feels kind of cheap. It feels very cheap. Right? You're supposed to love the new mythology that you find out about these there's vampires. Not, there's not that much of it. You're supposed to love one. these vampires. What is the myth? So what is it? The, the Catholic Church has hitmen. Well, I don't... I, right? I, Wasn't it like the Catholic Church have hitmen? Fantastic. They're, they're, a, they're a team it of Vatican-sponsored like... vampire hunters. What, so? Is Led that... by Jack Crow. Yeah, even the names are just, you know, <laughs> men's fiction. Oh, it's got God. a real men's fiction feel to it. And yeah. of course, anything James Woods is in has well, a men's fiction. Well, remember, the S is a dollar sign. In um, what? On the book cover. Are you fucking kidding me? Why, because he gets paid to do this? I don't fucking know. I just remember everything being flat, phony, and awful. And here's one of the problems with uh, vampires is that 
I feel like I'm supposed to like the James Woods character. James Woods is never likable. He is always playing scumbags, drug addicts, dirty cops. I mean, he's just not likable. It has nothing going for it. It's, it's bleak, but not because it sets up a bleak scenario. It's bleak because it's cheap. It feels almost like a later Coscarelli film where it's just desert. Uh, the James Woods character was terrible. I remember thinking that Cheryl Lee's character was really depressing. She just seemed to be there to be tortured. I mean, James Woods, can you name a movie where James Woods is our hero and you're like, wow, I really like this guy? Digstown. Really? Yeah, he what plays is a that? Kong, man. Is that 70s? He's always, he's always, he's never, I'm not saying he has to be Captain America, but he is always <laughs> a creep. Well, he looks like a creep. He's got he a creep He looks like face. a creep. He acts like a creep. He's a sneering bastard. I mean, yeah. I mean, in Videodrome, you don't root for him. There is nobody in this movie to root for. No. Everyone's an asshole. And if, since it feels like it's taking place nowhere, yeah, Vampires felt like an HBO back in the day when we saw it. Before you had, ne- It felt like it was made for HBO. It, it, have it you seen like the sequels? Any of the sequels? I did not know there were sequels. Yeah, there's I, a sequel I, with I, Bon Jovi. Pregnant pause. That pause. That that pregnant pause is gonna have quintuplets. What the fuck? Are you yeah. serious? I swear to God. Bon Jovi living on a prayer is a wow, wow, wow. He's gonna be pulling vampires out of their fucking coffins. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a tour de force. I, mean, I know some things about those kids in there. Like what? Maybe you better wait till the sun comes up. John Bon Jovi. The only choice left is how to die. Slow and painful, or quick and easy. John Carpenter's Vampires, Los Muertos. The movie is doomed from the beginning. I mean, I remember there was nothing good in that film. Not a damn thing. Um, I think Cheryl Lee does a great job of work. I, I think she's really underrated, but she's always given horrible things to do. She has always got to be abused, miserable characters. So, I, I mean, I don't know how she would act as a somebody who was just going to dinner. I, mostly what I remember is laughing a lot at what was not what we were not supposed to be laughing at and waiting for it to end yeah and yeah, there's no scares uh, the mythology sucks the villain is a joke that was but vampire vampires was an ugly film ugly boring cheap m- miserable forgettable unentertaining just two yeah. thumbs down two thumbs down but now I want to see the sequels because <laughs> I'm stupid <laughs> you know ugh all right, Paul. What is our next movie? Don't t- I, I don't tell me. Me? You didn't tell, you like me, you didn't tell, tell me beforehand, no, and I'm not know. drinking water just in case we do a, a Danny Thomas spit take. 1996, Escape wow. from L.A. Holy shit! Welcome to the theater. For everyone's enjoyment, we'd like to remind you of the following rules: no talking, no smoking, no littering, no red meat. No freedom of religion. And remember, all marriages must be approved by the Department of Health. Failure to obey these rules will result in immediate loss of citizenship and deportation to the island of Los Angeles. Your rules are really beginning to annoy me. I fucking hate this movie. This is a movie where I can actually say, I'm not going to actually go, What, Paul, wait a second, we're adults now. Let's not hate on... This movie is a piece of shit. It's everything that's wrong when you make a sequel. It's everything that's wrong with everything. It's terrible. It's terrible. What do you like? You like a catchphrase? Let's change it. You like his outfit? Let's change it. You like like wacky people he encounters? 
This film reminds me of of uh, the sequel to Forty Eight Hours, another Forty Eight Hours. Exactly. More than anything else, uh, as we were watching it, it looks like they did seek and replace everything that you that people responded to in Forty Eight Hours. They kept and changed, but it's the same film. In Escape from L.A., they go, "Well, you liked X. We take out." wrestling sequence with ox baker we put in basketball you liked when he meets this character we take this out we put in that character you like this catchphrase we have a new catchphrase it's awful it's the same fucking movie now i think that without even doing much digging everybody seemed to know even if they weren't reading fan magazines that this movie was made by two guys smoking a lot of pot well that's what you said after we saw i think we walked out of the theater and you were like fucking Carpenter and Russell were just smoking weed by a pool. And it turns out they type They kind of were. I mean, it just made you hate the first film in some ways. Like, you almost wish that they go back and kill... Would you go back and kill Escape from New York to prevent Escape from L.A.? The scene where they're surfing at the end... That's what I was going to say. The surfing scene... one of the worst things ever... It's like it was a joke put out to see if they could put this out as terrible as it is. I can't understand liking this movie, and that's no, not an insult to people because it just fails on every level. The character isn't even funny, or, or I don't. I'm not rooting for Snake Plissken in this one. I'm not rooting for anybody. I don't remember what the goals were. Everything was very clear cut in the first one. Even if he's stuck with this job, you know that he's Snake Plissken, and he fucked over the entire world in the first movie and almost ended it. So you feel like he could just leave. He's not stuck on an island with a bridge that has bombs on it. He's in L.A. It's huge. It, 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 geographically, he can always leave. The film never feels tight. It never feels... There's no tension. Bruce Campbell shows up. Holy shit, yay! This scene needs to end. Right. This scene's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, his makeup is bad. The scene is badly written. It's not funny. If you, if you make Bruce Campbell not funny, they don't take it seriously. And that's fine if it's a movie that can handle that. But this is a sequel to a movie that takes itself very seriously. Right. One of the hallmarks of Carpenter's films, in my opinion, is he takes them seriously. He does not fuck around. Uh, He doesn't throw in asides like... He doesn't just go where the wind takes him like uh, John Landis. He falls in love with a bit and says, I gotta have a gorilla suit, I gotta have a car crash, I need to have some juvenile jokes here, I need some tits there. Um, you know, his films feel like they go all over the place. Um, his films are pretty tight, and he takes them seriously because there's a sense of menace and tension in all of his movies, even the bad ones. Yeah. This one is lacking. This one doesn't feel as high stakes as as Vampires or uh, Ghosts of Mars, which is something really it, horrible to like say. It's almost like a parody. It's a yeah. joke. It, it, maybe they did take it as a joke, but that's not what the audiences wanted. I'm glad that they, they supposedly had a great time working on this, a great yeah. time making this up. You know, everybody had money, everybody had pot, everybody had a good time. It's a tired, lazy, awful, unwitty film, and it tries to be witty. Yeah, and The it, first movie was doing what it was doing, and this one is constantly aware of what it's doing. Yeah, and this it is his meta it. movie. It's terrible. Yeah. It is, I think it's his worst film in some ways. It's Ghost of Mars is a worse movie. I would say Ghost of Mars, but... But this is... This has extra I'm angry reasons about to, this. this has extra reasons to dislike it because it undercuts another film, it undercuts your expectations, and it just feels like you got jerked off. It's so fucking bad. Oh my god. It's it's Yeah. I really do hate this film. Yeah. Bad film. Waste of money. So, um you ready for the next one? Is the next one Village of the Damned? Nineteen ninety five's Village of the Damned. At precisely ten AM in a quiet seaside village. Something happened. Something unexplainable. 
something unbelievable. Now, this town is about to discover that looks can kill. Wow, well, I forgot about this when we talked about his worst movie. Yeah. Because I think this is his dullest movie. And here's the other thing, though. Look how excited we all got when a new Carpenter film came out, even when we didn't trust him. Because Village of the Dam made sense. He's fantastic at doing paranoia. He's fantastic of having characters who are breaking down and social situations that are breaking down. I love Village of the Damned. I love the book. The book is terrific. The Midwich Cuckoos by John Wyndham, uh, who also wrote... Uh, Chalky Chalky Day of the, Trif- Day of the Triffids. Uh, Day of the Triffids. Day of the Triffids. Um, the Kraken Awakens. Awakens. Yeah. He has really good high concepts. Not all of his books work out great, but I think that the Midwich Cuckoos... Day of the Triffids are fantastic. They're very kind of thinky, talky science fiction. Right. And the Midwich Cuckoo is a small, right. rustic and, village uh, in England. And they transpose that to America, right? Yes. I just think that you need to rewrite the script a lot more if you're going to take Village of the Damned out of the 50s England, uh, rustic village, and take it to America, small town. Right. In the, I just think that there's certain norms of society and the certain ways Americans act and technology in the modern time the carpenter, the carpenter film, version yes. i just think that it's a film where it's it's hurt by certain things that they forcibly avoid dealing with i think this is one where you have to talk about the, the right plot. people in sections basically falling asleep yeah the whole town right and after they and it's a it's a perimeter it's a, it's right? a literal perimeter that Around if you walk town. past it you will go unconscious right we later find out that a lot of women are pregnant when they all Wake up, yeah. Right. After everyone wakes up, we realize, and they have... And a lot of them are unmarried, and a lot of them are not in relationships. And Right. Or, or couldn't have children. Or couldn't have children, but yeah. Um, dozens of women in this small town are pregnant. And right. All and, have children around the same time. Right. And, yeah. And we get, basically, the, the reason the book is called The Midwich Cuckoos is the idea is cuckoos lay their eggs in other birds' nests. We are going to learn who these children really belong to. Right what their purpose is, what's going on. It's absolutely it's, a great story. It's a great story. It's a terrifying story because there's no real great way out of it except uh, the way that people get out of it. Right. And uh, The idea is, and evil children is great. Everyone likes evil children. Right. Uh, it usually works great because it goes against so many social norms. It goes, the idea of having to kill children or be killed by them is fascinating to me. To be frightened Even by children. Even bad Films with killer children like The Children mm-hmm. or uh, Bloody, is it not Bloody Moon? Uh, uh, Bloody Birthday. Bloody Birthday. And I hate that movie, but it's still always creepy to see children plotting. The, there's things like Lord of the Flies. I mean, violent children is creepy. Violent children who are otherworldly, right? like in the original Village of the Damned film, are super fucking creepy. I mean, first they're scared of them. They don't want to know that they're scared of them. They try to ignore it. They try to make the best of it. Because these are their children. These are their children. Exactly. They gave birth to them. I whatever mean, caused this we, is Whatever still... caused it. But these, there's a child in your house. You raised it. You love this child. And even though all the children have blonde hair and weird eyes and look alike and aren't affectionate, they're your child. Which I think the look really doesn't work in the movie. The in the model, first one? No. In oh, the, the model one's terrible. Yeah, I think that's it. it because it, it, does, it, it, it tries to go bigger. And uh, it fails miserably. It's amazing. The, the, sometimes you have to keep something that works. This is the man who took the thing, yeah. read the original right. story, and made a brilliant film. Yep, yep. 
And no, yeah, I agree with you. He didn't do that on Village. No, it's yeah. terrible. Because the thing is, he didn't. I don't know if he went back to the uh, book. This is a remake of the movie. I see what you mean. And Village of the Damned. Is there anything good in that movie? All I remember is being bored. I don't remember any scene. They add characters that don't lend it. It's just the decisions aren't good. You know, having Mark Hamill as a priest makes sense. It would be interesting to approach this from a uh, religious point of view, but they do it very badly. It doesn't really work. There's not memorable characters. You don't who feel stars in this? I don't who's Reeves. Christopher Reeves? Yeah. Uh, he's not used well. That's right. Yeah, he's a very stiff actor in certain things. Yeah. I, I, you know, he works as Superman very well. He's likable. He's not good in this. I like him in Death Trap. I do like him in Death Trap. There's like nothing to say about Village of Damned except that it's a total misfire. It's, it's yeah. the things that you think Carpenter would bring to it a sense of growing paranoia, a sense of growing tension, a sense of society falling apart, a sense of tragedy. It's another film where. Uh, it feels like characters could just drive the fuck away. Right, and we've seen Carpenter this do things with characters yeah. through his career, so we didn't know where he was going to go with this. No, and it turns out he, would he show. didn't really go anywhere. No. He, they seem to be more interested in ramp gore. We can show gore now because it's 1990-whatever. We can show what happened. We can come up with clever ways to show what happened to people when they were unconscious. Somebody falls asleep on a grill at a barbecue and is cooked. Right. All right, that's really creepy, but that's not enough to kick your script into gear. I mean, the kids aren't scary. No. Uh, I don't feel for the town's members. The film is modern time. Yeah. But it feels ye old. It time. does feel old because they want they don't want to really have it in modern times. They don't want modern uh, inconveniences. They don't want media attention. They don't want how many people would show up at this town just to be videotaping these kids and to put, and to writing articles and books. Yeah. It's just not working. And yeah, they want to have it both ways. They want to have this be a small town, but they want it in modern times, and there are no repercussions that you really feel make sense. The ending is bullshit. The Carpenter ending is that, you know, after an hour and 45 minutes of this stuff, it's just going to go on. It makes the sacrifice of the original that's still kind of in here, it makes it pointless. I just don't know. Uh, and in some ways, maybe they wanted to have a sequel because... There might be a more interesting story in that, a basket case kind of, I took my psychic on the run fire starter kind of thing. How did that work? I mean, to be honest, there's more interesting ideas in what could have happened in, the, in a sequel than in this really tepid remake that adds nothing. Yeah. Takes away everything. Anything. If you can't make, the poster is scarier than the movie. If you can't make a, a basically a cult of like 10-year-old telepath children with no emotions um, who are your are this town's children if you can't make them creepy and if you can't make them creepier than the 1960s film go home everybody gets tired yeah everybody has later films that oh we're gonna start loving his films really soon i know i know but not the next one i think i think the next one's gonna be the one that people if we ever get letters to our podcast this one will drive you absolutely mad it's 1994 <laughs> yes we're seeing commercials for Carpenter's upcoming film, In the Mouth of Madness. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demands of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. The guy that writes horror books. You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. And we're already hot and cold on him, I think, at this point. But the thing is, we I'm really excited. I was too. Every, they, everyone was excited. Wait, it's part Stephen King. Yeah. Part Lovecraft. Yeah. 
there's a scene where they rip the covers off paperbacks to yeah. make a map I was to also, an evil I was time. fucking sold. I am sold. I was sold on this movie just from the paperback thing. When they did beautiful covers. Those, I, I actually was looking at those the other day. They're gorgeous. Yeah. They're so good yeah. that I want to read those books. I remember you telling us. You and Brian were talking about it. Something like that. And you were going... He makes a map out of the covers of books to find this town. Everyone was just yeah. like, that sounds great. Right. What a terrific idea. Right. Oh. Now I wonder where they stole it from because everything <laughs> in this movie it seems to have come from somewhere. We see this movie. We're all excited. The poster looks fantastic. We get a huge group of people together. It, it's like it's hitting all these little All the dumb shit things. that we're into. It's got Night Stalker. It's, he's not a paranormal investigator, but it might as well. He's a detective. It's got publishing. It's got... It's mad writers. Mad writers. Small towns. Crazy shit. It's absolutely loved, this film. I it's find considered it, one of his I think best this, films. Did you notice that this film seems, really seems to have been rediscovered? Younger people seem to absolutely fucking love, like, yes. love this. I don't Call re- Cthulhu players... Lovecraft fans of a certain age, it really does almost seem to be a generational thing. Uh, I feel like people weren't told anything about this movie and they discovered it and they love it. Yeah. And that's fine. Oh, but yeah, there's the, but I don't. We hated it. Yeah. We hated it. No it, one liked this film of the like, 10 no, people. And we weren't no, hating it to enjoy hating it or no. to say, I want to love things I pay money for. No. Dead set on enjoying this film. This film had sold me. Yeah, I wanted to like this movie. Yeah. I didn't know Sam Neill well, so I didn't. I didn't care one way or the other about the cast, the story, concept. Yeah, this is Carpenter Land. Yeah, this he can do this. Why and didn't it work for us? I think for me, when you deconstruct the actual story of the film, there's not much of a story, and what there is of a story isn't visually interesting. This is the only thing I went looking for because I just wanted to see. Because this is the movie that I think that people get crazy about you not liking. Okay. Even if you say you don't like Halloween, people are like, sure, yeah, well, it's enough. all. Here's the thing. Apparently, for a lot of people, do not like In the Mouth of Madness. It's because you didn't understand it. That comes up a lot in oh. reviews and in just people saying shit on IMDb. You didn't understand it, well, they say to people. Well, you didn't understand it because the meta. Because of how it folds in on itself, you were confused by it. Now, it is a confusing film. It's unnecessarily confusing because the, the story isn't that big a deal. Reality isn't reality seems to be a very new concept to some people who've seen this film. And I get it. I was sold on this film, you know? This was like, I'm, this was like Matrix 2 to me. I'm going in, I'm going to love this. Yeah. I thought on a small screen, it didn't look as bad as I remembered it. The we thing, should talk about the plot real quick. So our story is we have a Stephen King-like writer. Sutter Kane, I think his name exactly. is. Exactly. Which is a pretty, pretty good yeah. fake pulp name, actually. And our hero, Sam Neill, is hired by uh, Sutter Kane's publisher, who's played by Charlton Heston, to find him because there's a book due. Yeah. And yeah. He's an insurance investigator. I guess it becomes an insurance thing if he breaks the contract, maybe. That's what they're worried about. They're right, worried about right. getting this in on time. Right. He starts investigating. It's not as simple as it seems. No. There's creepy stuff going on. Now, I forget exactly how... Uh, there's violence in the streets, that kind of thing. But we see the fans lining up to get books. We see people losing their shit. And there's a, a famous scene of a guy with an axe. Which I think is terrible. I, people love that scene, and I think it's terrible. It's, it's, to me, it wraps up everything that's wrong with the movie. It's a good concept done poorly. Yeah. Uh, and it's obvious, and it's kind of unintentionally funny to us. We, we were like, look at the guy. Yeah. People supposedly don't see him. 
<laughs> but yeah, he's right a, in the fucking center of the shot. Yeah, there's a guy with an axe. A guy with an axe. Like a murderer who's and it's, walking. It's not. Him. And yeah, well, that's the thing that's the worst about the scene is that he's dressed like a maniac. The scene's blown. The minute you see him in the background, maniac with dark eyes who looks like he hasn't slept in a trench coat, the audience picked him up immediately and starts laughing. And then by the time he busts the window down, you're just watching him. So if you're supposed to be impressed with the fact that Bernie Casey and Sam Neill don't see him and that's scary, I think it was completely the reverse and everything that's wrong with this movie. Obvious, sloppy. So he has to go to this town. I, I, I got us off. He has to go to this town, supposedly, where the guy is right. to he talk to him. He finds out that his location has been hidden in the covers of his paperbacks. Right. We meet Kane's editor, played by Julie Carmen. She is going to go with Sam Neill. They're right. going to be bantering with each other. They have a lot of banter about the nature of somehow things that tie into our movie. Right. They start having philosophical and writerly and sociological talks about fiction, metafiction, the effect of fiction, what's, which is what you do. <laughs> right? You talk about the themes of your movie. And then we drive the to a cheaper movie. Which is what you don't do. Yes, the movie becomes another movie. Yeah, we drive to Once a they movie. reach the town, they and go they, through this sequence, this John Carpenter black yeah. darkness. And then... And I remember us kind of in... I remember we weren't lost yet. The, uh, the, the, bo- the, the famous scene with the boy and then the old man. Right. And the funny thing is, I remember that being really creepy because how could it not be creepy when you're... Uh, Two people on a road in the middle of nowhere. Carpenter throws black tarps all over the place so that there's no sense of anything. Right. I always like that. Phantasm does it. I would kind of like that weird thing where they just put black behind everything. Sometimes they'll do it for cutaway shots. Uh, but it gives you a sense of paranoia. It gives you a sense of, of suffocation. This road doesn't have anything on it. Where are they going? I, I mean, the, the road trip is not terrible. The conversation is... The whole movie has too much fucking talk, too much babble. It's too much in love with its own self, not realizing that. The scene where the kid rides by works on its own, in my opinion. They have a kid going by in the bleak darkness. And all you see are red lights from their car, and you see their headlights, and a kid drives by on a bicycle. Why is this kid out here, and where is this kid going in the middle of the night is, to me, creepier... Then suddenly an old man on a bicycle comes by in the opposite direction who might be the same kid who's wearing a very, very ineffective rubber mask and looks like older John Carpenter, which is like, (laughs) we're all like, is that John Carpenter? (laughs) Then they hit the guy on the bicycle and that's the scene people put on YouTube and say, this is the scary scene. I'm like, that kid, when they're looking for that kid and you don't know what's coming next, is, in my opinion, much more effective and creepier than... Rubber mask, weird guy gets knocked down and then gets up and goes again. I just feel once they get to this town, everything that they present to us doesn't work. No, I, I, when I, we the meet, town is where the movie ends for we, me. Yes, when we meet Sutter Kane, he's terrible. Earth. I, so yeah. we meet, yeah, he gets to the town and really there's no plot after this. Yeah, there's really no plot. It's just well, a matter of gimmick, effect, reality changing, ha-ha on the viewer, ha-ha on Sam Neill. It's just... It's just a series of set pieces. The the woman that runs the inn or something. Yeah. There's a story. Oh, she's just like the woman in the story that kills her husband or something. We have no attachment as an audience exactly. to that. And we don't scenes, know his stories. And the scenes, So they, they build it on other people's stories, which most people don't know either. Which would have been fine if right. they paid off with that new material. Right. Or they, right. If they gave you, I'm a fan writing this screenplay. 
I'm a, I'm, I'm a knowledgeable person directing this movie. Let's put as many references. Pickman's Hotel means absolutely nothing to 90% of the audience. Easter eggs get a lot of people hard when they're watching it, but that's not a movie, and I'll, you know, that's a hill I will die on. So many people are so excited about there being references in this movie to Lovecraft. They're infighting about people who say this has Stephen King influences. No, it's not. It's Lovecraft. And I'm like, look, Stephen King is clearly in this movie. The references are Lovecraft. In my opinion, and this is for me, you shouldn't come out of a movie going, boy, did I love all those references. That's dressing. That's icing. If, I had, if we hadn't read all that shit, would we care? It doesn't gel. The scenes don't last with me. I don't no. go, oh my God, do you remember the scene when the monsters rip out of the book wall? What? No, it does not work for me. It makes a terrific trailer. I think this movie promises so much and then gives you tentacles. And, it, it and I'm crazy and I'm laughing in my cell. And, and, it's and, just, the, and, it, the, and I think the, I ending hate the ending is absolutely awful. It's a cheat. I think it's the worst Carpenter ending. It's not his own ending. But it's amazing to me that people who think Prince of Darkness is a piece of garbage and that that ending is ridiculous. Obviously, there's people who like both. But both of them have very serious love and hate camps. Yeah. I think Prince of Darkness is a more Lovecraftian, is a more successful Lovecraftian film in every single way. Right. And it doesn't have any references. Yeah, it just... I mean, the road scenes are cool. They take way too long. Town is just not interesting to me. We, we have to make it clear. If someone was to say to you their favorite Carpenter film was Madness, you could understand that better than you could, say, Vampire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or The War. There's nothing yeah. to talk about of vampires. Right. Unfortunately for us. Yeah. And it's not because we know more or whatever... This film didn't work for us. Where... Yeah, I'm not blowing people off because no. I, I was into Lovecraft and, and I was into... Yeah. I've, we had seen all the Carpenter mm -hmm. films when they came out or any of that. But I'm just... I don't think the film works as a yeah. film. It's an hour and 45 minutes of Sam Neill looking confused. Writing meta stuff about is this real or is this not real. It's hard to make films like that work of any kind, whether they're psychological or they're over the top or both. Writing about Writing is a big no-no in many screenwriting circles. The act of conceiving something in your mind and putting it on paper and then it becoming something out there, whether it's about a writer who's going through writer's block and it's really serious and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's made for boring people <laughs> who want NPR totes and stuff <laughs> like that, or whether it's a monster picture with reality bending and all this stuff going on. The act of writing is internal. Another big feeling for me was that I thought Sutter Kane was terrible. I thought the character Sutter Kane was all of a sudden a bogeyman shows up for real. Now, whether, whether things happening are real or not, you've got a guy talking like a villain in a comic book. Right. Which automatically throws things off for me. Another reason why the effects bother me in this movie in a way that effects don't bother me is that if you're going to deal with reality versus non-reality, the fact that the effects almost always look fake don't sell me on anything. They don't try to cheat things with shadow, which is weird. They On things like... Halloween, they go, look, we don't know how to show this. So we'll just have, literally have a light show up. And in the fog, they use the fog to cover things. And the thing, they don't show you every single aspect of the thing. They, For some reason, I don't know why. Uh, you've got no budget to show really interesting effects that everything's rubber and plastic in this movie. You don't cover it with light. You don't cheat it with blocking. You don't show it quickly. They do that in the scene where the creatures are coming out of the church or whatever. And it's actually not so fake looking that they could have shown it a few more seconds so many of the effects are absolutely i mean there's a puppet in one scene because of this woman and everything now i don't Hold mind on. that Let's but if stop. you're trying to tell me this is not real or this is real i want a firmer reality to cut from if you enjoy the visuals of it 
over you know over what's happening and the characters and the the cause and effect. I mean, that's why a lot of people like a lot of uh, Giallo. Yeah. Giallo doesn't make sense, and I can get into that. But they fill the movie with enough dazzle or style. I don't think this movie has a lot of style. I get that what they're trying to do something different here. It is supposed to be meta. It's supposed to be meta about horror fiction. It's supposed to be meta about reality. It's meta about itself, but we don't know itself. Right. Harkening to Lovecraft isn't the same as Lovecraft. If, if you're talking about reality crumbling, and you don't know what's real... And you don't know what's going on. And even if the veneer of the story is it's a writer and it's right, Lovecraftian, right. the images and the situations I see have to be crazy and surreal and disturbing and odd. And unfortunately, nothing like that happens. They're just, they're just low-grade Hellraiser. I like a good mind fuck. I like a good, you know, holy shit, what is real, what is not real. Most of them suck, though, because the very nature of them... But if the ride is really good... But, I mean, again, this all reminds me of occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge stuff it's just padded up you're living through something that's not really happening you're not who you think you are I mean isn't this the kind of thing that's in Blade Runner I mean you know you don't Philip K. Dick has tons of this stuff you know what I'm saying claims for this to be this kind of visionary film really don't work for me and the I don't want to derail you, but do you want to do the full disclosure thing? I knew the writer of... Yeah, in in disclosure, I knew the writer Mike DeLuca uh, in film school. The funny story is, I I did not like him. He was very obnoxious. Now, I was an obnoxious person too, and I made him cry, which I felt bad. I called him a fan with a camera one day in the editing room because we were all part of the same group that had to work on stuff. And my my friend Tim ended up working in film. I'm not sure what he does now. Uh, I, I make comic books and, and I'm broke all the time. Uh, my friend Max le- did not go into film. And Mike DeLuca ends up becoming, uh, he goes to work for New Line Cinema. And he just goes up the ladder, up the ladder. But he ends up becoming incredibly successful. Right. I mean, hugely successful. Greenlights a lot of amazing films, a lot of bad films, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he's written a few films. I didn't know that. I thought this was the only film that he wrote. I went to a birthday party for Bob Fingerman. I'm passing uh, a newsstand on the way back from the party and I see this cover of like Variety something of something. I said congratulations to Michael DeLuca and I look at it and I go what the fuck is Mike DeLuca doing <laughs> on the cover I had no idea he was the head of New Line Cinema and that I had seen all these films that he had financed or greenlighted and I'm looking at this thing and I'm reading it and I call up Sarah I go I cannot believe it this guy that I made fun of in film school apparently is like one of the most powerful men in Hollywood he is mega fucking successful mega super rich and there was a whole thing of variety with full page ads and I'm a schmuck sitting here going I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month and I just thought that was hilarious you know that's not coloring the film there are people who we do not like in comics and in film and in music who I don't like them, but I go, wow, that's a really good piece of work. Right. I can separate the two. I don't think this was a good piece of work. Yeah. What's next? It's 1992. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Okay, you're going to take this one. I've sure. never seen it. Something's happened to the Magnoscopic's facility in Santa Mira. Next thing I knew, I went from high profile to no profile. Chevy Chase. Morning. Morning. Daryl Hannah. Wait, how am I going to tell my mom about this? Just tell her you met a guy. Could be serious. He's transparent. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. A John Carpenter film. Very little about this film except you guys have talked about the book. Yes. You and Brian and other people, as was often the case back then, you guys were aware of the book. I wasn't. But I never caught around to this one. And there's two words. Chevy Chase. (laughs) I don't sleep well. I can see through my eyelids. I can see through the top of my head. This is around the time that there were some interesting books 
rethinking about being invisible. What is it like to be invisible? You got Hollow Man by Dan right. Didn't they make that as a film with yes, uh, Kevin Bacon later on? Yep. You have Hollow um, Man. This one, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I read that book. I enjoyed it. Is it a comedy? I'm going by the movie, which has a light tone, but it feels like just from the title that it has a bit of a... And there's one more book I should talk about, which oh. wasn't made in a movie, which is Fade by Robert Cormier. Which I is have heard of that one. Okay. Absolutely terrific. If you're going to read... Now I want to read it. If you're going to read one of those yeah. three, read I need Fade. some books. I enjoyed the book. Basically, the idea is there's an explosion and a section of a building, which looks like it's just disintegrated and gone, is actually become invisible and our hero huh. is in it. That's so cool. if he's do they do win. that in the um, in the movie? Do they pull yes. that visual if, off? That sounds cool. Uh, no, I mean it's a, yeah. they go with it. Yeah, yeah it's a cool visual. It. So uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he's got to survive on what he's got there that he could move around. Why invisible. can't he leave? He can leave, but yeah. if he wants to wear clothes, he has to wear the clothes he was wearing there because they're invisible. If, oh. he wanted to, if he wanted to have a plate, right? If he know, wants to avoid people, he's got to. He can't do the H.G. Uh, Wells thing. He can't do the Claude Rains thing. And, Dress himself up like a monster, which they which they do in this. Really? Yeah, I think he does a scarf and glasses. Yeah. It's basically a, a kind of reexamining. Okay, everybody thinks it's great to be invisible, but when you think about it, it's a nightmare. Right? I'm walking down the street. Yeah. How do you walk down the street? People are going to just walk into you. How do you do? This? Well, you do it like Ed Begley does in uh, uh, Amazon. Women Amazon on the Women on the Moon. Come on, let's have some wild drinking. Being invisible is the best. <laughs> hey, here comes the invisible man again. Sam Neill, I think, is an agent? Yes. Sam Neill, we have Sam Neill again. He's... Um, I like Sam Neill. You don't like Sam Neill? I do not like Sam Neill. Now, why I, is that? He, it, is a, it is a personality He thing. takes pictures of his dogs on Instagram and has a very good sense of humor. I, I don't think he's a, a bad actor. I don't think he just... Yeah, he doesn't do it for he you? He just doesn't do what, it for In Possession, do you like him? Is he good in that? Yeah, I yeah. Guess. I mean, I don't dislike him, but he always seems to have to play maniacs. Like, like people who like, break down. It's like... Uh, He's like a genial Jack Nicholson or something like that. But I, I like him, but I don't know if I like, if I, you know, yeah. It's basically a, a, an adventure, lighthearted kind of comedy. Chevy Chase is invisible. Ugh. Sam well, that's the, that's the best Chevy Chase you could have. Is, is, see, I, I hate Chevy Chase. No, well, it's, uh, and I used to like Chevy Chase. That's understandable. I, he was never a Jeff Fahey like he is. Jeff Fahey for Sarah. Sarah can't watch Jeff Fahey, which means we'll never watch Body Parts together, which is a shame. But I get it. There are certain people who just make you... Yeah, he makes they me, just turn, he just cringes. But, but now, so Sam Neill is after him for what? It's because he's invisible. Yeah, but wait a minute. Is he from a corporation? Is he a He's from government? the CIA. Oh, that bad. Yeah. Uh, is it Daryl Hannah? Yeah, you got to make does sure she, How does she get forced to act like she likes Chevy Chase? Uh, a paycheck? No, I know. Well, I, her character. What is her character there other than being just the woman? And I'm sure her and Chevy Chase have a romance. We, I go see the screener. We go see the movie. I've read the book. I enjoy the book. I see the movie. I go. I can't say you'd expect anything but a decent mainstream horror. And film. I went uh, Hollywood film from yeah, it, like a Starman type. Yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it feels more yeah, like Starman than any yeah. of his other movies. Sure, I, I, I would assume that it's you know it's a higher on. And I'm like, oh, this is probably going to be a hit for him because it's yeah. enjoyable. It's a. It's it a was breezy. really pushed. It was a breezy, and it fucking bombed. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie no one even remembers he well, made. Was, I just, I really, yeah, Chevy Chase is an instant turnoff for me. And, and it's understandable. Oh, Look, yeah. Look, honestly. He just, doesn't he just radiate prick? This, yes. You know what I mean? This movie does not feel like a Carpenter film. It feels like a kind of Hollywood journeyman. Sure. It's this. It's competent. It's got things. I remember watching it once and enjoying it and 
never having a desire to you see never hear anybody talk about it you don't hear carpenter fans you don't hear no. fans of the actors no. it's 1988 wow he really he has weird gaps between his films too he does seem to have these uh, periods of yeah. like fuck it i'm going it's home. four years I'm going to play music. They live. What do these things want? And why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you. All around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we got to stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. Yeah. They live. You know why I saw They Live? Because it was Roddy Piper. Yeah. <laughs> More than it was Carpenter. Because I did not see Prince of Darkness in the theaters. I did not see Big Trouble. Although I wanted to see Big Trouble. Anyway, yeah, They Live. I liked it when it came out. I, I think They Live is kind of the turning point. I feel like it's half. It's almost good. Half the movie is really good and half the movie is kind of not that good. They Live is, is like the populist mouth of madness. It's a movie with ideas. It's a movie with a really big following. It's a movie that seems to have grown in consensus over time. I don't think it's very good. I think it's a fun little movie. It's not a super successful, good movie. It's got a lot of fun elements and cool ideas in it, but I think it's a really cheap, awkward, unsatisfying movie well, when taken all yeah I think that that's because when you watch it there are times you feel like you're watching one movie and there's times you feel like Roddy Roddy Piper is just wrestling or talking or just, or just being goofy it's a, and it's another movie where things feel small when they're supposed to feel a little bigger right they, 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 it's they, the world the world is affected by this but it's only happening in the five blocks where Roddy Piper just happens to be right and it, it's, it's very convenient the movie falls apart in the last half hour. It's a fun ride when he ramps it up to what is actually going on here. Because Carpenter is terrific at that. But when it actually gets there, it's a bunch of gun battles. People, I think, remember it as being better than it is. Well, because you love Piper, and you love the glasses, and, and you, you love, love the, the signs, and, and you, you love the pizza face aliens. It's, it's a horror movie, a monster. I mean, is it a horror movie? It's weird. It doesn't feel like a horror movie. It's really a science fiction movie. Science fiction With adventure. horror elements, but it's really mostly a science fiction action movie. It's more like Escape from New York, I think. It's not really a scary movie, even though there's monster scary people yeah. in it. But there's a lot of fun stuff in it. But it's also... The Obey stuff was kind of, you know... Is what it, I'm trying to get at, it's not as heavy a film as people ascribe to it, in my opinion. There's a lot of commentary in it, but it really just comes down to shooting aliens. Aliens doesn't really... You don't need aliens to explain what's going on. Well, I think that's the point. That's the big... I know, but it doesn't... It, it really relies heavily on the aliens, and I'm like... It's a joke. There's Reagan America and this and that. But I mean, like, uh, it just, you know, at the end, it just felt like a goof. You know, oh, look, she's fucking an alien. Oh, look, there's an alien on TV. Oh, look. And I'm like, well, you know, nothing's going to happen. Rich people can fix anything for themselves. We're just going to hate them. But we're probably going to go, you know, fuck it. Everything's pretty good. So what if there's these ugly, scraped face aliens? And the glasses just is such a funny thing. It's the, just like, I've got fun. The, great. The, the, the beginning is really good invasion of body snatches build up. Right. If you make a list of things you like about They Live, I like the iconography. I like the consume. I like the obey. I like the way the monsters look. I, I don't like, like the Roddy, movie. I don't I like, like the movie. Yeah. Right. I like yeah. Roddy Roddy Piper's character and uh, Keith, Keith David. David. Well, I love, I love Keith David. He's good in everything. That's another thing I like about Carpenter. I like that Carpenter will often work with people again. Yeah, I, I just like that old school feeling of you know he works with Keith David on the thing, brings him over. I mean, right. I think Piper and Keith David are 
really funny, yeah, it good works. couple. Right. But I think the movie something's missing. There's just a, there's a great scene that has to do with the aliens that's missing. Having whatever that guy, Buck Flowers, or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Having that guy be the fucking commentator for the right. aliens is just. Well, I think it that's... feels small. The movie feels really small when it feels like it's addressing a big question. So it feels like it takes place on five blocks. And whenever Carpenter has a film that gets past a building or, or a small location, he seems to not know how to pull it off. The only movie that really seems to work like that is Halloween. Because they could just shoot on in the real town. His movies feel really small. And when they're supposed to feel really big, it feels cheap. They Live always feels cheap. And it never gets past feeling like a more violent Twilight Zone. Because you, you're told lots of things instead of showing them. Uh, you're shown things on screens, which is a good way to break down your budget, but just feels small. The Meg Ryan character never becomes anything like most of the female characters in his movies. I would have been happier, uh, to be honest, I would have been happier if this was just an action film with a ton of violence. Once the points are made... They sit there. The, the, the satire doesn't really carry over into the last third. The action isn't memorable at all. You know? I mean, it just feels so Saturday morning cartoon in that the one guy who finds out about the big problem gets the one guy. It takes him so long to get the other guy. And even though those scenes are funny, they don't really work for the film. They work for themselves. I love the scene where he tries to force him to take the glasses on. But it feels cheap when you blow it out to 10 minutes it feels longer than it is i love that there's suplexes the whole thing cracks me up the fact that it starts over again is very funny <laughs> but it feels like the king kong gully scene there's a reason that maybe you cut that down because it takes the movie over it kind of breaks the film into two halves it throws off the pace and the momentum the whole ending feels so oh the the transmitter happens to be three yes. blocks away and the movement to just is right here and the guy who's a bum is right here and it's just it's too pat it's too the script lets you down on the mechanics the, everything else is likable but they don't have the money to do the last half of the movie yeah, it, it, it feels small cheap and like a, a tv show does feel like kurt russell should be the lead and they it, couldn't afford him. it does feel that way and it does feel like there's a couple of scenes missing but the film feels almost there it started a month ago what started? A change in the earth and the sky. His power. There's a weird locking mechanism. It looks like it can only be opened from the inside. A life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. What? Oh, well, it's 1987. Prince of Darkness. I did not see Prince of Darkness in the theater. When did it come out? uh, 87. Holy shit. I didn't know it was that old. Yeah, I didn't see it in theaters and I didn't know much about it. You know the thing about Prince of Darkness is I had no idea what the fuck it was. Yeah. The title alludes to the devil devil or Dracula. The film ads told me nothing. The poster is pretty generic. And obviously that's a hard movie to promote. I mean, obviously that film and uh, Mouth of Madness are interesting to talk about together. Not just because they're the apocalypse films, but they're right. very different than the thing. I-, I love Prince of Darkness. I think, I think Prince of Darkness deserves to be put up with all the best Lucio Fulci and Argento. <laughs> um, 
I think it's better than all of them. Than, than the Fulci stuff in a lot of them. I think it's like oh, one yeah. of those movies made with real ideas. And if we're talking about Carpenter and, you know, having nerd talk is I don't like In the Mouth of Madness. I love exactly Prince of Darkness. The same way. And it seems like somewhere along the line, Prince of Darkness started to pick up a cult audience and got reappraised. And I think part of that is people watching it more than once. See, I find Prince of Darkness confusing in places. I don't find Mouth of Madness confusing. It's right. a mind fuck. He's got magic powers. He's in the book. So what? Prince of Darkness is not necessarily the newest of ideas either, but I, I find that there is, there is enough psychobabble and metaphysical uh, babble in there that I was thrown the first time I watched it. But here's the thing. I was scared shitless while watching it. And I was never scared in Mouth of Madness because Mouth of Madness was, was a freak show. But they're jump scares. And everything in Prince of Darkness skirts this kind of like, like you said, it's actually kind of almost Fulci-like. Half a desire to laugh at some of the things that go on. At the same time, I found it really scary. Right. And I can understand people going towards the laughing. I disagree with people who say, if you just talk about Lovecraft real quick, I think that Prince of Darkness is a much more inherently, and I apologize for using the word inherently, uh, Lovecraftian film than uh, Mouth of Madness. Mouth of Madness got all the window dressing. It's right. got the actual <clears throat> shout-outs. It's got Pikmin. It's got scenes. It's got literal uh, lines from books being read by Sam Neill. They use uh, stuff from Lovecraft stories, and he reads those as Kane's stories. But this movie does is more fundamentally Lovecraftian right. in its use of science and occultism, technology. The unknown. The unknown. The irreligiousness of it. Yeah. The body horror. The body horror. Um, thankfully not the racism really scary movie I understand that people don't think it's scary but it's got trappings and I use that word on purpose of the best Carpenter with the conceptualizing of later Carpenter with characters that I like there's a lot yes a lot of people don't like that there's talking in the beginning I love it I yeah. love the setup Oh, I, I, I love the setup of that movie I, I enjoy there's nothing I don't like about it the I think only it's... thing I don't like about the movie is is very small. I think that there's a couple of things going on with the homeless zombies outside that are a little... Uh, Underdeveloped? St yeah. Stiff, awkward. I, I think when the character jumps out, when one of the characters tries to leave, the guy from Riptide, I think it is, <laughs> that scene almost seems like, well, we got to have something for the slasher fan. It's a really awkwardly directed sequence. I felt like he could have gotten away, which would blow the entire story narrative if people get people aren't supposed to get away the scene makes sense in every which way i don't think it was handled well it looks fake and phony just doesn't work and you go ah they needed to show a scene that they couldn't get out i kind of wish alice cooper wasn't in the movie really yeah because he's alice cooper that's the way he looks in his concerts it, it it was it's a good bit of stunt casting but he's he brings baggage and he doesn't get to do anything and i just feel like literally alice cooper is outside with the homeless people Stunt casting usually doesn't work for me in any way, shape, or form. Roddy Piper works for me. I loved it, but at the same time, I'm going, why is he doing wrestling moves? Because he's Roddy Piper. Right. No one suplexes anyone during a fight. Really? Alice Cooper's just there as Alice Cooper. Being a, He's not a character. It's the only bit of st things that make me think about the movie. The rest of the movie, I'm watching the movie. I'm in the movie. When I heard about the movie and I saw it was starring one of the guys from Simon and Simon, I certainly didn't want to see it. I had it. absolutely no... I don't want to see yeah, this. Uh, to be honest. stupid fucking mustache. Also, isn't he a perfect Italian horror movie star? 
the way he looks and everything. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's it's Prince of Darkness. So you go into it thinking, okay, it's going to be the devil. Are they releasing the devil? And you go in. And you're hearing, hey, there's a church. And yeah. it's guarded. And there's a thing in it. I'm immediately sold on that. Ooh, I like there's that. There's a thing in the basement. I lo- Yeah, right. I like the high concept. We're bringing a team of investigators to spend some Done. time. Done. Done. Hey, that, that, Done. that sounds good. Yeah. Hey, what does this thing look like? Well, that's fucking weird. People and, really, a lot of people, are, they're knocked out of the movie because of the vat of green gook. Yeah, but... I love the vat right. of green gook. But I'm like... I think it's I actually scary and weird because that? it's nothing that you expect. It's yeah. not a boogeyman. You expect It's that. not an amoeba. It's not a monster. It's not a bunch of lights. Oh, that thing in there is more Lovecraftian than every reference in Mountains of Madness. In my opinion, their take on what is Lovecraftian, it's not just tentacles and... References right. to old ones and, right. well, and the, reality bending. The biggest Lovecraftian thing in Prince of Darkness is the effect it's having on the homeless and yeah. other people in yeah. that area. That kind of yeah. call of Cthulhu. I love that. There's cults. Yeah. People are dreaming. Sensitive is a dream. Dr- it is a dream, but isn't the dream. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the plot. Is that right. There's <laughs> a secret in this church that there is something in the basement. What they start finding out is... We're not dealing with the devil or possession. Right. We're dealing with quantum physics. Right. And, you know, it's it's science fiction. It's yeah, horror. it's rational. It's, it's very Quatermass. I mean, I'm a sucker for any of that stuff, you know. I liked what was in the basement. I, I liked like what, what it I loved did. What, I loved what I was in like the basement. the worrying about mirrors. Yep. I like I like tachyon beams. I love the tachyon beam transition. I love <clears> I like this the army of the possibly dead, possessed, homeless. I like the church... And um, that these are all college students, graduate college students, which is like kind of uh, M.R. James. You know, this, this is a, a younger version of the antiquarians, uh, you know, who are going looking into things. I mean, this thing works for me. What's the better Call of Cthulhu module? Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Or in the ma- Oh, yeah. Prince of Darkness. Yeah. This mystery. Plus you got a whole group of, of investigators. And then it turns out nothing is what it fucking seems. And... A greater sacrifice is made that has much more of a punch in the gut at the end. I find the ending much scarier. Oh, terrifying. Uh, I'm invested with these characters. There's a sense of humor to this, which is not really in Mouth of Madness. Mouth of Madness has a dark sense of like, hey, look at that bloody thing or this, that. Sam Neill is not a funny character you care about. I, I'm, There's more chemistry between oh, the, yeah. the female and male yes, leads in it. It's probably one of the best female leads you know, who has something to do and, and pays for it. Dennis Dunn is great. Dennis Dunn likes Always great. He's always great. Always great. He really is. Uh, Egg Chen is great. Yeah. I like the idea that he plays a different character. And, and he plays a character that's very similar to the one in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, except that it's based on science, not folklore or, you know, black magic. And he doesn't have to play a bit of a stereotype, which he does in, in, in the other one. But Prince of Darkness is a movie I don't even want to talk about the plot too much because this is a mindfuck movie, but you know what's going on. And it doesn't cheat. It doesn't cheat. I think it has a, it has a Carpenter ending that works better than most. It, it's and claustrophobic. It's, a dub, it's super claustrophobic. And it it's, works perfect. It's, for him. it's got your survival horror thing going on where we're trapped. We have to make the best of a bad situation, and the situation is too much for them to handle on the whole. Right. It's just out of control. This situation, and it's we're like, not just losing people. People are getting converted. People are getting converted. People are getting uh, transformed. People are getting used. There is uh, one person who's being used as a vessel to give birth to something, which is fucking awful. There's little things in it that I like. Dennis Dunn's character is trapped in a closet, 
but it's not the kind of scene that they usually do trapped in the closet. Nobody's banging in there. It's not even the trapped in the closet scene from parents where somebody just gets caught being in a closet. It's not the Halloween scene. It's not. He is forced to watch a dead person gestate <laughs> a something. Yeah. And I, I find that a lot fucking scarier than just having somebody uh, trying to get me out of a closet because I'll be stabbed. It, it's to moody. actually watch. It's moody. It, but some of the set pieces and some of the ideas are are bizarre to the and and not something that you've seen in other movies to the point where I could see some people nervously laughing at it or just laughing at it. Right. But in my mind, for me, a dead person sitting at a desk and typing the words of of our evil source. She's not gored out or anything like that. She's just staring straight ahead at an awkward angle. Her hands are going a mile a minute typing out this one sentence over and over and over. I find that fucking scary as shit. Because not only do I think it's a creepy image, not only am I reacting to the death of a character and the use of that character to this, but the fact that it's communicating in a way I haven't seen in a movie before. It's basically telling you, telling all the characters, you are fucking dead in a way that I haven't seen before. And it's shot really well. It's shot really creepy. The scene where one guy comes back from the dead and the way they have him act when he comes back from the dead... A lot of people find that scene unintentionally funny. I found it terrifying. Yeah, I, I just think it's I think it's his best whacked out film. It's one of my favorite of his. I don't champion it because I think it was it's underappreciated, and I can be the underdog fighting about it. I think it's a genuinely terrific, fucked up movie. The I think the ending works. The the dreams, the tachyon beam things is one of the scariest things in a movie I've ever seen. I understand if it doesn't work for other people, but it was like waking up and having your radio on and somebody's whispering in your ear, but you're watching it the entire time. It I, I felt very uncomfortable after I watched this movie. Most directors, this would be their I masterpiece. Just, I just feel like some. I just feel like this is. I, yeah, I don't get it. It's not as accessible but, as his other films, but neither is Mountain of Madness, and neither is uh, well, I don't know his movies. Most of the time. Everybody works together. That means that your tension is based on the situation and these people, things happening. The tension is not phony on the group. We're falling apart in the face of adversity. Humans, they're the worst monsters of them all. <laughs> Fuck that. Spend some time on the script, which is what happens in his movies. Uh, in this movie, these people start freaking out. Nobody starts, you know what I mean? Nobody says, how do I get out of here at the expense of everybody else because we need some cheap, uh, it's, just, it's just not there. Yeah, this should be a top film of his, in my opinion. It, it is. It is. Well, I, th I wish it was regarded as a top right. film. If people haven't seen Prince of Darkness, I think they should see really, it right away. This is something I recommend, and it's great if you don't know much about it. I don't think we've given too much away. Prince of Darkness is one of my favorite horror movies. Join the boys next time as they conclude their John Carpenter discussion. Find the podcast online at tearthemapartpodcast.home.blog. Listen on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music. Follow on Twitter at Tear Them Podcast. We got free tickets, remember? No, yes. see, I thought it was different. I thought we I got went... passes for this. No, we had passes yes. for Village of the Dam. No, no, we got see... passes for In the Mouth of Madness, and no. I wanted my money back. <coughs> <coughs> now we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rewrite a script for the <laughs>